Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about multiple sclerosis. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerodefinals.com slash ms or in the neurology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Multiple sclerosis or MS is defined as a chronic and progressive condition that involves demyelination of the myelinated neurons in the central nervous system. We'll talk in detail about the pathophysiology, but basically this demyelination is thought to be caused by an inflammatory process involving activation of immune cells against the myelin. MS typically presents in young adults under the age of 50 and it's more common in women. Symptoms tend to improve in pregnancy and in the postpartum period. Let's talk about the pathophysiology. Myelin is a material that covers the axons of neurons in the central nervous system. The myelin helps the electrical impulses to move faster along the axons. Remember, axons are sort of like cables within the central nervous system that transmit messages between different neurons. And the myelin coats the axon and helps the signals to move faster along it. Myelin is provided by cells that wrap themselves around the axons. In the peripheral nervous system, the cells that provide myelin are called Schwann cells, and in the central nervous system, they're called oligodendrocytes. Multiple sclerosis typically only affects the central nervous system and the oligodendrocytes. There is inflammation around the myelin, an infiltration of immune cells that cause damage to that myelin. And this affects the way electrical signals travel along the nerve. And this leads to the symptoms of multiple sclerosis. When patients present with symptoms of a clinical attack of multiple sclerosis, for example an episode of optic neuritis where they lose vision in one of the eyes, there are usually other lesions of demyelination throughout the central nervous system, most of which are not causing symptoms but can be picked up on advanced imaging like MRI scans. In early disease, remyelination can occur where the myelin repairs itself and the symptoms resolve. In the later stages of the disease, the remyelination is incomplete and symptoms gradually become more permanent. A characteristic feature of MS is that the lesions vary in their location over time meaning that different nerves are affected and symptoms change over time. And the key expression to remember to describe the way MS lesions change location over time is that they're disseminated in time and space. What are the causes of MS? Well, the cause of demyelination is unclear, but there's growing evidence that there's an influence by a combination of multiple genetic factors, the Epstein-Barr virus or EBV, a low vitamin D level, smoking and obesity. But ultimately there's not one cause of multiple sclerosis and it can affect almost anybody. So what are the signs and symptoms of multiple sclerosis? Well symptoms usually progress over more than 24 hours. At the first presentation symptoms tend to last days to weeks and then improve. There's a number of ways that MS can present and these are described below. Some key patterns to remember are optic neuritis. And optic neuritis is the most common presentation of multiple sclerosis. 
and it involves demyelination of the optic nerve and loss of vision in one eye. And this is discussed in more detail a bit later on. It can also cause eye movement abnormalities and the patient may present with double vision due to lesions that affect the sixth cranial nerve. Remember this is called the abducens nerve. There are two key phrases to remember to describe a sixth cranial nerve palsy and these are internuclear ophthalmoplegia and conjugate lateral gaze disorder. Unilateral lesions in the sixth nerve cause a condition called internuclear ophthalmoplegia. Internuclear refers to the nerve fibres that connect the cranial nerve nuclei that control eye movements. So these are the third, fourth and sixth cranial nerve nuclei and they're all connected by different nerve fibres. The internuclear nerve fibres are responsible for coordinating eye movements to ensure the eyes move together. So if these nerve fibres that connect the different nuclei are affected by multiple sclerosis, you get something called an internuclear ophthalmoplegia. With ophthalmoplegia, meaning a problem with the muscles around the eye. Lesions in the sixth cranial nerve cause something called a conjugate lateral gaze disorder. Conjugate means connected, and lateral gaze is where both eyes move together to look laterally to the left or the right. This conjugate lateral gaze, or the eyes moving together to the left or the right, is disordered in a sixth cranial nerve palsy. And when looking in the direction of the affected eye, the affected eye will not be able to abduct. Remember, abduct means move outwards. So for example, a lesion affecting the left eye and the left sixth cranial nerve will mean that when looking to the left, the right eye will adduct, meaning move towards the nose, but the left eye will remain in the middle because the muscle that's responsible for moving the eye laterally is not functioning properly. Patients with MS can also present with focal weakness. So this could be a Bell's palsy, a Horner's syndrome, limb paralysis or incontinence. They can also present with focal sensory symptoms like trigeminal neuralgia, numbness, paresthesia which is pins and needles and Lermit's sign. Lermit's sign is an electric shock sensation that travels down the spine and into the limbs when the patient flexes their neck and it indicates disease of the cervical spinal cord in the dorsal column and it's caused by stretching the demyelinated dorsal column. Patients can also present with ataxia and ataxia is a problem with coordinated movement and this can either be sensory or cerebellar. Sensory ataxia is due to a loss of proprioceptive sense, which is the ability to sense the position of the joint. So for example, whether the joint is flexed or extended. And this results in a positive Romberg's test, which is where you get the patient to stand upright with their eyes closed and maintain their balance. And if they can't sense where their joints are, they'll simply fall over. It can also cause something called pseudoathetosis which is where there's abnormal writhing movements of the joints, particularly the fingers, because the brain can't keep track of where the joint is in space, so it continues to move the joint. The other type of ataxia is called cerebellar ataxia, and this is the result of problems with the cerebellum coordinating movement. 
and this suggests a cerebellar lesion, which could be a demyelinating lesion in the cerebellum. There's a few different disease patterns in multiple sclerosis that you need to be aware of. The disease course is highly variable between individuals, and some patients have a mild relapsing remitting episodes for life, whereas others have something called primary progressive MS that progresses without any improvements in symptoms. There are certain classifications used to describe the pattern of MS within an individual, and these patterns are not separate conditions, but they're part of a spectrum of disease activity. The first pattern to be aware of is something called clinically isolated syndrome, and this describes the first episode of demyelination and neurological signs and symptoms relating to that demyelination. In this scenario, it's not possible to diagnose MS because there's only a single episode and the lesions won't have been disseminated in time and space. Patients with clinically isolated syndrome may never have another episode and may never develop MS. Or alternatively, they could have another episode and be subsequently diagnosed with the condition. If they have an MRI scan and the lesions are seen on the MRI scan, this means they're more likely to progress to MS. The next pattern is called relapsing remitting MS. And this is the most common pattern at the initial diagnosis. And it's characterized by episodes of disease and neurological symptoms followed by recovery from those episodes. In MS, the symptoms occur in different areas with different episodes. This can be further classified based on whether the disease is active and or worsening. So active disease means new symptoms are developing or new lesions are appearing on the MRI scan. Not active means there's no new symptoms or MRI lesions that are developing. Worsening means there's an overall worsening of disability over time. And not worsening means there's no worsening of disability over time. So you might describe a patient as having relapsing, remitting, active and worsening MS. Or you might describe them as relapsing, remitting, not active, not worsening. Another pattern of MS is called secondary progressive MS. And this is where there was relapsing, remitting disease at first, but now there's a progressive worsening of symptoms with incomplete remission. Symptoms become more and more permanent over time and secondary progressive MS can be further classified based on whether this disease is active and or progressing. So active disease means there's new symptoms which are developing or new lesions that are appearing on the MRI. Not active means there's no new symptoms or MRI lesions. Progressing means there's an overall worsening of disease over time, regardless of whether there's relapses or not. And not progressing means there's no worsening of disease over time. The final pattern to talk about is primary progressive MS. And this is where there's worsening of disease and neurological symptoms from the point of diagnosis without the initial relapses and remissions. This can be further classified in a similar way to secondary progressive MS based on whether it's active and or progressing. Let's talk about diagnosis. A diagnosis of MS needs to be made by a neurologist based on the clinical picture and symptoms suggesting that lesions are changing in location over time. Symptoms have to be progressive over a period of one year to diagnose primary progressive MS. 
Other causes for the symptoms also need to be excluded. So investigations that are not required but can support the diagnosis are MRI scans, which can demonstrate typical demyelinating lesions, and a lumbar puncture, which can detect something called oligoclonal bands in the cerebral spinal fluid. And for your exams, it's worth remembering this one piece of information that in MS, a lumbar puncture can show oligoclonal bands as this is a very popular exam question. Let's talk a bit more in detail about optic neuritis. Optic neuritis presents with a unilateral reduced vision developing over hours to days. And the key features are a central scotoma, which is an enlarged blind spot in the center of the vision, pain on eye movements due to the inflammation in that nerve, impaired color vision, and something called a relative afferent pupillary defect where shining light into the affected eye will fail to produce pupil constriction whereas shining light into the unaffected eye will cause pupil constriction in the affected eye. Multiple sclerosis is the main cause of optic neuritis however optic neuritis can also be caused by other things such as sarcoidosis, systemic lupus erythematosus, diabetes, syphilis, measles, mumps and Lyme disease. Any patient that's presenting with an acute loss of vision should be seen urgently by an ophthalmologist for assessment. It's treated with steroids and recovery usually takes two to six weeks and around 50% of patients with a single episode of optic neuritis will go on to develop MS over the next 15 years. Having changes on an MRI scan can be helpful in predicting which patients will then go on to develop MS. Let's talk about management of MS. Multiple sclerosis is managed by a specialist multidisciplinary team, or an MDT, which includes neurologists, MS specialist nurses, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, as well as others. Patients should be fully educated about their condition and about the treatment because it's going to be almost certainly a lifelong and significant condition that's going to have a big impact on their life. There are three components to treatment. One is disease modification, another is treating relapses, and the third is symptomatic treatment and supportive management. Firstly, disease modification can be achieved with disease-modifying drugs and biologic therapy. And this has dramatically changed the management of multiple sclerosis so that the aim of treatment is now to induce long-term remission with no evidence of disease activity. There are many options for disease modification that target various mechanisms such as interleukins, inflammatory cytokines and various immune cells. And going into detail about these drugs is beyond what will be expected for your exams. And these treatments will be coordinated by specialists in multiple sclerosis within the specialist MDT. But it is worth remembering that these disease-modifying drugs are available and they've had a massive impact on what can be expected for patients who have a diagnosis of MS. Next, we'll talk about treating relapses. Relapses are typically treated with steroids. A nice recommend methylprednisolone, 500 milligrams orally and daily for five days or alternatively 1 gram intravenously daily for 3-5 to days where oral treatment has failed previously or where the relapses are severe. Finally, let's talk about symptomatic treatment. 
It's really important to treat the symptoms that result from the disease process along with treating the disease process itself. And this will involve exercise to try and maintain activity and strength. And this can be done with the help of physios and occupational therapists. Neuropathic pain is a very common complication and this can be managed with medications like amitriptyline and gabapentin. When patients develop depression, which again is very common in patients who have multiple sclerosis, this can be managed with antidepressants such as SSRI medication like sertraline or citalopram. Urge incontinence can be managed with anticholinergic medications like tolteridine or oxybutynin. Although it's worth being aware that anticholinergic medications can cause or worsen cognitive impairment. And spasticity or very tense muscles can be managed with baclofen, gabapentin and physiotherapy. So thanks for listening to this episode on multiple sclerosis. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing this podcast. It wouldn't be possible to maintain it without his hard work and reliability. If you found this podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. It's got detailed and concise notes on 10 specialties in medicine and is designed specifically to contain the key facts and guidelines you need for your medical exams. If you don't fancy picking up a copy of the book, you can find all the notes as well as videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerotofinals.com. And I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will be on motor neurone disease.